Hello, hello everyone, it's Britt, the Petite Polymath. Today I'm going to be talking about Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower. Hello everyone, it is a dreary start to a week. Um, I don't know where anyone else is, but in Austin it has been overcast and foggy and gross pretty much all last week into this week. I hope the sun shows up tomorrow. Um, at any rate, I was thinking of something to read, and I've been um, reading books that are not really worth reviewing, you know, my herbal medicine class books and practicing my Italian. None of those things really call for recaps. Um, but then I realized that I had not read um, Octavia Butler before, which I know is probably shocking. Um, I don't actually know how I managed to not read her when I was younger. I think Parable of the Sower came out in 1993. So it's, it's interesting that I didn't um, have it on my radar when I was a teenager or in college. Uh, but both her and Ursula K. Le Guin were, were women that I meant to get around to reading when I was younger and then didn't read until I became an adult. Um, so Octavia Butler, uh, a black woman who wrote sci-fi and fantasy and dystopia. So kind of, you know, I would say a contemporary of, of Margaret Atwood. Um, Parable of the Sower, I had to finish it. But in the current climate we are in, it, it hit way close to home. Like, I'm actually very stressed out by it. <laughs> um, I'm happy I, it didn't give me any nightmares, actually, because I started reading it, what's today, Sunday? I started reading it Friday when it came in the mail. I bought it in The Parable of the Talents, uh, the sequel, which I don't think I can read right now. I'm going to have to table that for a little later. Kind of like how I felt when I started reading The Underground Railroad and I couldn't finish it. But this one, I had to finish because it's it was just, it wasn't so um, brutal that that I, that I couldn't get over it to be compelled to finish, but it's hard. And I would love to know how I would have felt when I was like 18, if I'd read this. And maybe it's also the timeline, like it's set in the 2020s and we're in 2021 now, um, you know, in the midst of a pandemic coming out of a, a very gross, um, you know, governmental period into a time that, you know, is hopeful, but I think we're all kind of holding our breath. I think there just are a lot of scary feelings about the future. And this just like pours gasoline on all of that. So um, a quick synopsis, so that so as not to spoil anything, but to also tell you you should read it. Um, the story, I'm surprised also it hasn't been made into a film. It should totally be made into a film. Um, the protagonist is a young woman named Lauren Olamina. She's 15 when we meet her. She is 18 at the end of this book. And really it's a, a, a woman's buildings roman. It is a coming of age um, book for this young woman. She's black. She's from um, the suburbs of Los Angeles, 
something has happened in the country that has caused things to go to hell in a handbasket, for lack of a better term. We don't really know what that is, but we know that states are taking care of themselves alone, so the borders from state to state are rigid, and we know that climate change has made places that were inhabitable less inhabitable. Um, Money still works, but everything's inflated, so it's very costly to eat. Water is scarce and very expensive, and people have devolved into chaos. So this is like Mad Max, you know, in a city. Um, So we've got, you know, communities that would have been nice subdivisions that maybe now have walls around them to keep out scavengers and homeless. We have, you know, um, gangs of, of drug-addled people. There's this new drug called Pyro where people um, like to set things on fire and apparently get some sort of arousal from seeing things burn. So they set things on fire, they set people on fire, and they just like do this for fun. Uh, and this drug has gone wild. Um, the other thing is there's been another drug that went wild that in children, well, in the children of the people who, who like had children on this drug, um, the kids would become what was called a sharer. And maybe this is also why I was a bit, you know, impacted by the, by the book. I jokingly have said about myself that I'm kind of, I'm very much an empath. So I, I really do grab onto the emotions of other people that are close by. And when I'm reading or watching things, very much impacted by other people's pain, which is why I'm, I have to be very careful about the stuff that I watch. And so um, Lauren is a sharer, a hyper empath which when she was younger, apparently, if like someone cut themselves, she would bleed like almost, you know, with them um, empathically. But now it's just become something where if someone gets hurt and she sees them, she also feels the pain and it can be incapacitating. And so this is something that her family um, is ashamed of because this came from her mother who was addicted to this drug and had her. Uh, And as a little aside, apparently this drug was a drug that was used to help with focus and attention. And her mother was in grad school, took this drug to help with her studies, and then got hooked on it. So that's a whole nother thing we're going to talk about in a little bit. Lauren is the oldest um, of, I think it's four. She has three younger brothers. Her father is a Baptist minister. He's also married to his second wife, not her mother, Um, a Latina woman who he had the three boys with. Um, She has a brother named Keith, a brother named Marcus, and a brother named Gregory. And they live in this community where they look out for each other. Um, It's very racially diverse. And apparently because of the breakdown and the moral fiber and the societal fiber, um, race relations are at an all-time low. So interracial couples people being friends across ethnic bounds is not something on the outside that is seen as okay. Everyone's very suspicious um, and hostile towards people who interact across ethnic bounds. It's really crazy. Um, 
I think Lauren's stepmom teaches and her father as his day job as a professor at a university. And so they have this gated community that they have to um, pretty much, what's the word, Um, guard. They have like a gate with a key. They have to watch it all the time to keep everybody out. Everyone learns how to shoot for safety. Um, And Lauren, in the midst of all this, you know, being raised as a preacher's kid, doesn't really buy Christianity. It's a bit skeptical about it all and goes through this system of coming up with her own her own religion. If you heard static, blame my brother for going in the pantry. Um, so at any rate, um, it's called Earthseed, and she's journaling down periodically her thoughts, what's happening in her community every day, but also some verses of like a philosophy of faith um, about God and about life and change and what God is to her. Um, She's very wise for a 15-year-old. She is an avid reader, and her father has educated her well. And there's a lot of tension because she has thoughts of her own. She pushes back against her dad. And and so you see that, you know, it's inevitable that there's going to come a time where her beliefs and her father's are going to diverge. Um, Of course, there is, as all, you know, coming-of-age stories are, the conflict that the outside meets the inside. And she is forced to run from her community um, when vandals, for lack of a better term, set everything on fire. And she separated from her family, who we now presume as dead. And she has she has to go on her own. Now, she'd had a feeling this was going to come. And she'd already talked to her dad about this and had prepared herself a, get- a getaway pack for this time. So thankfully, she was pretty prepared. Um, And when she makes her escape, she ends up running into a couple other people that survive from her community, Um, a young white guy named Harry and a young woman named Zara, who was a a second wife of a guy in their community. Um, And they're a little older than her by a couple of years. And they, this trio, decide to head north to find a place where maybe they can get jobs that actually pay money and uh, hopefully a better life. Along the way, they collect some new friends, actually, new allies who come from a host of of varying backgrounds. Um, I think that the themes that stand out to me about um, the parable of the sower uh, are the following. One, it is the idea that nothing is new under the sun. And we see this in, you know, if we go back through human history to like the fiefdoms and serfs in the Middle Ages, and then we get, you know, this time of enlightenment, and, and then we get industrialization, and, you know, we had the, the um, aristocracy, and, you know, we get the industrial age with factories, and, and then we get this uh, attempt to... Um, treat humans with dignity, and then we have chattel slavery in America, and then we have the prison industrial complex, and we have human trafficking now, and then we have multinational corporations that are getting way too big for their britches, and like it's just like these spirals with more technology. But yet human cruelty and degradation and human greed and evil, it just never seems to go away. Like We can't ever seem to stamp it out. 
And so these very base human things just keep coming back. Um, people's needs to escape with the use of drugs, drugs that end up destroying things. And what I find fascinating is this pharmaceutical idea of like this biohacking, trying to be, you know, um, more efficient or more smart or more strong or not feel pain or not sleep, but then the consequences of how these things impact your body and then impact your reproductive system so that when you have children, you end up with kids that have all sorts of dysfunctional issues that are like things we haven't even seen before because it's different from just, you know, the things that often um, can go wrong uh, in utero, right? Um, Another idea that struck me was there was an, an option for a city outside of, Cal of L.A. called Olivar that was on the coast and was falling off into the ocean but had water, potable water. And they could not afford to keep their city afloat. And they sold themselves to a corporation. The corporation promises to take care of the people and give them jobs. But at what cost? So this idea of security in exchange for freedom. And I got like, the, like just super creeped out about the idea of a corporation buying up a community and then not giving them actually a fair wage, taking away their ability to leave, making them debt indentured slaves, for lack of a better term, and then having security that's outsourced to like a middleman um, that is, you know, answering to the highest payer, right? So that was just very dystopian and creepy. And I think, thank you, oh, sorry to bother you, hit, hit, kind of hints at this um, possible alternate reality. Um, then there's this idea of the police breaking down. They're so corrupt. They, they don't care about the communities that they're policing. And so you've just got everyone having to fend for themselves because there's no one that's looking out for you except for yourselves and maybe the neighbors you have. And so everyone is just kind of in these little bands of, of, of groups that need firepower and like they can't get any centralized anyone to care for them. The government isn't helping, the government is corrupt. Um, if anything, the government's doing away with things like environmental protection or making sure that people can get an actual living wage. Um, for the sake of, of money for other people. Uh, and yet there's still people that are wealthy and they can escape. They can get on a helicopter and fly away or, you know, go to Canada or something. And California is just a disaster, apparently. And I don't know what the rest of the country looks like. People are trying to get to Oregon or they're trying to get to Seattle, um, no one's been thinking about going further into the, in, into the country, you know, into like New Mexico or Arizona. So, so I don't know what's going on in the United States as a whole, except that we just know that things seem to have fallen into profound disrepair. And yet money still works, which I found interesting. Um, I just felt like, oh, good Lord. What could happen to this country? I mean, I don't want to live in a dystopia. For the record, people didn't have computers. They didn't have cell phones anymore. 
And um, what did they use? I mean, this was 1993 when, when Octavia wrote this. So she wasn't in our world where we have iPhones and all this stuff. Um, but the radio was, was something people were using, again, a lot for communication to know what was going on. And then people who had windows, I'm putting quotes, air quotes around that, they really were television sets. Um, and I, I think she was thinking about a smart TV in the, in the not-so-distant future, which, I mean, we have now, um, and virtual reality and that sort of thing. But um, I guess she couldn't have imagined, well, of course she could, but I, I, I'm sure she, she wasn't living in a world that was so infused with the social media and all the stuff that we have now to project that, necessarily. Um, I mean, all I know is I hope we get through the next 20 years without this coming to fruition because it's super scary. Um, I highly recommend it. I feel like as a teenager, it'd be very impactful. And I, I think that, you know, thinking about what it means to not lose your humanity in times of desperation, trusting strangers, keeping your wits about you, not losing hope when everything seems completely hopeless. And, um, and like, you just don't even know what you're fighting for, what your like aim is that, that sense of, of, of loss of loved ones and, and living in this very like adrenaline driven life every day, it, it hits in, in all sorts of very weird emotional ways for me right now. So, um, take a look at Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Y'all, I hope you have a great week. Um, for those who weren't aware of the terminology of the parable of the sower, um, it's a reference to one of Jesus' parables in the book of Matthew about the sower that throws his seed out onto land. Some seeds take root. Some are strangled by thorns. Some are eaten by birds. And some have a shallow root, but then are burned when the sun hits them. And Jesus' explanation of his parable is about how the Word of God is scattered out into the world and the hearts of men are the soil. I think Octavia Butler is using this in relationship to Earthseed and the idea of a world that could be made new if people will be willing to listen. Take care, everyone. <laughs>